Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Uh, I invite you to open up your Bibles at this time. Uh, We're going to be turning to God's Word in Joshua chapter 1, as well as Judges chapter 6. We're beginning a new series called um, Called and Calling, where we're going to be looking at the different ways in which we see God calling us and the ways in which we are a called people. And the passage that we're going to look at is a famous passage in, in talking about God's will. It involves Gideon and the fleece, and we're going to be looking at it through the lens of Joshua chapter 1. So first, Let's read Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, or 7 to 9. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. From Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and the ground be covered with dew. That night, God did so, only the fleece was dry and the ground was covered with dew. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we'll just begin our series here looking at what it means to be called. And some of the language that gets coupled with calling is the language of God's will. Uh, We are people that want to know what is God's will for us. And people find themselves often asking questions about God's will in times of change. 
uh, whether it's a time for graduation or it, you're coming towards a university program, a new job, a new relationship, or retirement. When we have these choices, we want to know, is this God's will for us? We want to have the assurance, does this line up with God's will in my life? And this is a good impulse to have, but one that we should be careful of in, in how we approach it. After all, uh, we live in a world that wants to know much of that, that same thing. What I mean by that is that there are similar questions that the, the world and our broader culture can be asking that can have an influence of how we come before God. You just look at the world and they see they have horoscopes in the newspaper or tarot card readers or a continued interest in new age spirituality. And we see that we are in a world that wants to know what God or at least the, the gods or the universe, what it has to say to them. They want this deeper insight to whether their choices will bring them prosperity or will it bring happiness, will it help me gain greater fulfillment. Even the, the non-religious people are willing to entertain the possibility of something big out there if it will help them gain an assurance of success. And this sort of thing is, is nothing new. Uh, this sort of uh, desire would have, ex have existed in the ancient Near East, and it would show itself in different ways. So one of the ways would be having household idols. Uh, so you would have an idol in your home, and this would be something that you could pray to to help maybe manipulate the spiritual forces in the area. Or, or another common way was to have uh, arrowheads. Perhaps if you were in a battle, you would have a, a series of arrowheads that you would throw on the ground and you would try to read what sort of signs the universe is trying to tell you, what sort of things that the gods were trying to say. Uh, one of the most popular things um, surrounding the ancient Near East in that time was actually looking at the organs of the different animals that they were slaughtering, uh, particularly the liver. So the liver was the heaviest of the organs, and they thought this is where the mind of the person or the animal was. So if there was anything that the gods would communicate, it would be in that liver. So when it came to a battle, to a war, they would often have priests slaughter a dozen animals so that they could see, are there patterns in here? Something that can tell us, that can give us a sign that we will be prosperous. Now, at first glance, looking at a practice like that, it might seem quite distanced from anything that we do. There's a, a pretty far removal from the actual practices there. But in, in Bruce Waltke's book, he's a biblical scholar, he has a book called Finding the Will of God, A Pagan Notion. He states that while the ancient world certainly had a more bloody way of trying to determine God's will, there is a shared inner desire to know the mind of God, this endless seeking for signs of God to guide them. He writes, both methods of divination require God to work in a miraculous way to reveal His will. And when we look at the world and its reaching for certainty and guidance from the universe, we ought to recognize a similar impulse that we have within ourselves for that same thing. Now, 
In contrast to the other cultures that had these practices, whether it was the idols or the arrowheads or examining the organs, in contrast to that, we have the people of God and how they were to behave. The people were to be a people who were to hang on the law. And in the law, we have these different commands that they are not to be a people that have idols. Or it even goes beyond that into talking about how they were to reject any sorts of divination. Uh, We find an example of that in Deuteronomy chapter 18 where it says this, let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium, or a spiritist, or consults the dead. There's this lengthy list given there that that God's people were to depend on something else to determine what God's will is, how they should be acting. So if they weren't going to turn to those things, what, what was the alternative? What were they to turn to? I think we find a hint in Joshua chapter 1. They are to turn to God and God's Word. They are to turn to God's law for a sense of God's character. For the people of Israel, they were not to turn to the ways of the people around them. The words from Joshua 1 that I want you to pay attention to are the words that are repeated and that begin our passage, be strong and courageous. These are words that are repeated to an Israel that is about to inherit the promised land. This is the beginning of Joshua. So they haven't entered into the promised land yet. And these words are given to be strong and courageous and they're surrounded with what? With with the encouragement to look and to have God's law on their minds, that they're to meditate on it day and night, that they are to live into this. There is this direct relationship between the two. The people are to stand under God's law and will, and this would bring them into true courageous living. It's because these people have read and studied God's word in a way that they know the character of this God. They know that this is a God who upholds them and protects them. They are intimately familiar with a God who faithfully follows his promises. Courage, then, comes not from knowing that they have the strongest military, not from knowing that their numbers will be stronger than the people around them, not from superior strategies, and not even from the signs that they have demanded. Courage comes from knowing God and being intimately familiar with what God requires of them. So to to summarize here, in a world where people seek signs to know what to do, to have assurances in what to do, there is a biblical call towards deepening ourselves in God's Word and understanding God's character to such a depth and degree that we no longer need or depend on these signs. The call for us is to be a people who are strong and courageous, and knowing this comes from deepening our relationship with a God and knowing who that God is. 
And to demonstrate this, or to look at this a little bit deeper, I want to look at the story found in Judges. Now, I had an, an image to help draw our, uh, our memory back from when we looked at the, the stories in Judges. We had this downward spiral that captured uh, the book as a whole. And that was to remind us of this unraveling of the society that took place throughout Judges. Now, remember that the book of Judges is written in such a way that we see the result of what happens when people forget God's law. This book is placed directly after the book of Joshua, after a faithful leader who guides the people into Israel, into the promised land. We have the story of Israel progressively forgetting what it means to be a people that live into that land. As the people forgot God's law, as the people forgot who God is, they also forget how they were supposed to act. And they became more disordered in their lives. They had that downward spiral there. And the story of Gideon happens right in the middle. It's be, it is a story that shows the beginning of the loss of courage that it was meant to live into. We see in the story of Gideon a person who begins to treat God like the nations around them, demanding signs. Now, to get a better idea of what's happening in Gideon, I want to give some context because chapter 6 has a little bit more to it. We only read the little section from verse 33 to 39. So to catch you up with what's happening, we have this person, Gideon, and he is visited by this messenger. This messenger is equated with God himself. The messenger speaks with the authority of God. And this messenger comes up to Gideon and he says that you are the one who has chosen to defeat the Midianites. Israel's been oppressed by this people and he's been told by this divine messenger that he will be the one. So he, this is a moment of Gideon's calling. The wording in the passage is, go in the strength you already have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon has some excuses to that. He's, he's young and his tribe isn't that powerful. But again, this person who's identified with God himself says, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites. And even here, Gideon is thinking, this, this sounds like too much. I, I need a sign. So he demands a sign from this person. Um, he, he brings uh, a meal before him with, with broth, and the, the messenger asks him to place it on a rock. And the, the messenger taps it with his staff, and fire comes from the rock, and it burns it up, and the messenger disappears. Gideon receives this sign to verify that he will be the one to rescue Israel from the Midianites. He knows that God is with him. He knows what to do, but he's so unfamiliar with the Scriptures and what the law has to say. He's so far from knowing the character of this God that he lacks the courage that is needed to follow through. When, when the time actually comes for war, as we read in verse 33, Gideon demands yet another sign. He demands the fleece be wet the first day and then 
for it to be dry the next. And sometimes when reading this story, we want to look at, at Gideon as, as the hero, as someone to, to emulate, someone to follow. And you can get kind of this message from it, that if you want to know if you're following God's will, then, then leave something out. And if it happens, then you'll know that you're doing the right thing. But that's not at least what this story is telling us. After all, Gideon's already very much assured of what God's will is. So why does he leave the fleece out? What, what is happening in this story? Well, the, the likely reason is, is that Gideon wants to see if God is more powerful than Baal. Gideon wants to see if God is more powerful than the gods of the nations around him. He's, he's using the, the methods and the modes of the day to ask for signs to see what's happening. In fact, um, for, for Baal, so just a little background on Baal, uh, he's the storm god, the god that would be in charge of the water. He has a daughter named Dew, so he has the authority over the Dew as well. And here, Gideon is trying to say, in your territory or in the territory of Baal, can God defeat this one? In the strengths that Baal has, is God more powerful? He's, he's bringing God down to the, the lo, um, to the level of local deities and trying to pick a fight here. He wants to know, does God have enough power to overcome the gods of the people that I'm up against? And, and the takeaway that we are meant to have from the story is, do we sometimes act like Gideon? Are we steeped enough in God's word to be aware of God's character that when we feel God moving us in a direction, when God sends us a message of the things that we can do, that we actually move forward in faith? Do we sometimes know or sense that God is calling us in a certain way, but we want to wait or we, we waffle on it? because we want to have a certain sign before we do anything. Another way of looking at this passage is seeing that Gideon here is looking for shortcuts. He does not want to do the work of studying God's Word. He doesn't want to live the life of righteousness. He simply wants victory. He's so preoccupied with the Midianites and the fighting that that is the only thing he sees. He just wants to use God to get his way and then move on. He has no interest in the way that's spelled out in the book of Joshua, where we find courage in the awareness of God's presence and by meditating on God's law. And again, does that sound like us sometimes? Do we find ourselves looking for shortcuts, looking for assurances, not doing the hard work of digging deeper into God's Word and understanding God's character? Certainly, we must be aware of how God may be uniquely calling us. We need to be open to the times where God has a message specifically for us, something for us to do. But in these in-between times, 
Do we live as those following this broader call in Scripture to be a people of God's Word who looks towards how does it reveal God to us? Now, as the church, um, as New Testament people, uh, we have more than what Joshua points out to us. Joshua wants the, or Joshua's commanding that the people look to the law of Moses, the the first five books, uh, the Torah. But we have more than that. We have poetry, and we have wisdom literature. We have the prophets that point our way towards this new promise that God has. We have the gospels that introduce us to Christ himself, to God in the flesh. And then we have these letters written to the New Testament churches, these letters that open up what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? One of the things that we need to be aware of is that we all have this fundamental calling of belonging to God. And Jesus is the one that makes that possible. The calling of being a person that is brought into this deep and intimate relationship with Him. It is Jesus and through His life, death, and resurrection that we are a people who are renewed into being His followers in this world. Drawing deeper in our intimacy with the knowledge of God through Jesus, we are called then into acts of righteousness or service towards God and towards one another. We are all Every one of us called to deepen ourselves, to meditate on who God is. Now, the the title of this sermon is The Call to Live Courageously. And I want to return to that language of being strong and courageous, because this language gives some helpful insight of what it means to be people who live into God's calling we will enter into situations that require strength. We will we'll enter into different situations that require courage. I think sometimes when we think of God's will and what it means to be called, we might get the misunderstanding that following God's call is something that's easy. That a sign that we're living into God's will is that things are going smoothly. But that doesn't match with a God who calls the people entering into the promised land to be strong and to be courageous. What lies before those people will be far from easy. Following God's will, looking at our calling, may involve challenges that come our way. Sometimes God calls us directly into the hard things. Now, if we're not prepared for this, if we're not digging into God's Word and assured of God's character, who is God? And how does God call His people? We might respond like Gideon, demanding a sign in seeing if we really have to do this. Being strong means that we need to use our strength in a world that has challenges that come our way. Encourage it, it works in the same way. Courage means that we need to be able to step into the unknown, that we can step into places where we do not know what's going to happen, and those times also can be scary. 
being courageous implies that there are things that bring us fear, that there are challenges in the unknown, and we are called to respond courageously as we faithfully go where God calls us. So what might that look like? Well, for one, uh, for Lena and Travis, they are following God's call to a different city in a different place. There are many unknowns for them, but part of that reality was seeing that they're given an opportunity to go Through a process of discernment rooted in community and rooted in God's word, they made a courageous decision to pack up their belongings and move to a new province. We don't know all the details of where this will take them. We know that there will be challenges along the way. But they serve as people equipped into making these types of decisions rooted as people in God. And for Lena and Travis, for their case, Their calling has sent them somewhere. They have a calling to go. But the call to be courageous isn't only for going into new places. After all, in our story, Gideon was someone that was to stay where he was. Sometimes the calling is, in fact, into a new role or continuing the role that you already have. Maybe you're just finishing up a year of ministry and you're looking at what sorts of opportunities lay before you. A question you might want to be asking is, are you dwelling in God's word as you take time to discern? Are you taking the necessary steps that come alongside being a person who can respond with courage and with strength? Now, sometimes our desire to know God's will comes from changes in our own lives. Maybe these changes involve graduation or retirement or having your first child or entering into a new relationship or navigating singleness. Whatever the case is, life brings us to places where we need to discern. And the encouragement in the midst of that is to listen to listen, how might God be calling you? But also to listen and to be attentive to God's Word. May God's Word give you a deep grounding in who God is and equip you towards strength and the courage needed to respond in faithfulness. Let's come before God in prayer. Almighty God, sometimes we forget who you are. Sometimes we're like Gideon, where when the time for strength and courage comes, we find that we haven't prepared ourselves as deeply as we were meant to. In the places where we fail, in the times like Gideon we ask for signs or treat you like you are a small God, May we remember that even there, you were able to work through Gideon, that you still accomplished your purposes through him, that you are patient and you are forgiving and you are gracious. Give us the assurance that you can work in us, through us, and sometimes even despite us. 
Grant that we are a people who heed the words from Joshua, that we meditate on your word and who you are. Renew our understanding of you. May we deepen in our understanding of the cross, of the resurrection, of who you are and who you call us to be. And grant us, through a deepening understanding of you and your word, the strength and courage we need to face the challenges of this day and all that stands before us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.